If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our series called An Elevated Life. Uh, Andrew mentioned it earlier, uh, but I think there's some people I haven't met. If you don't know me, my name is Jacob Dunn. I am the student pastor here at Valley Creek Baptist Church. If we haven't seen each other, it's because I spend most of my time at our Springfield Road campus. So if we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to meet you when we're done today uh, and just get to know you a little bit. Uh, I am privileged uh, and honored to be here uh, and be able to open the word this morning. In Elevated Life, we've been looking through the Gospel of Matthew, and very specifically, we've been looking through the Sermon on the Mount. And as we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, as we look at this, we're looking at this idea uh, of what it means to live uh, you know, an elevated life. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, is all about Jesus is the long-awaited king. Everything that Matthew does from the beginning to the end is about Jesus being the king. He is the king that we want, that we need, and that we have uh, awaited for. Matthew writes to a Jewish audience to say, this guy, he is, uh, in their word, the Messiah. He is the one that we want to see. So what we know is that if Jesus is the long-awaited king, then he has a kingdom. And if we are his people, then we are his kingdom. People. And if we're going to be his kingdom people, then we are going to look different. And so the question that we ask in this series as we talk about an elevated life is this, what do kingdom people look like? What do kingdom people act like today? What do kingdom people talk like? We've looked at several difficult truths. The things that Jesus shares in the Sermon on the Mount, the first recorded and the longest recorded sermon that we have from Jesus are not always easy to hear. They're not platitudes that soothe the soul always, but sometimes they are hard truths that confront and convict. And that is important for us to hear. And so as we jump into our text today, remember that Jesus might be, through the work of the Holy Spirit, sharing with you something that is hard to hear, but that is important for us to hear. So reading today, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37. Follow with me if you will. Again, you have heard that it was said to your ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. But I tell you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven because it is God's throne, or by the earth because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Father, as we gather around your word this morning, I pray that we would hear with ears that are open, hearts that are receptive to what you are teaching us. And we pray your word would take root in our heart, and build us up in your spirit. I would love you, and we thank you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we have heard the context. Jesus here is teaching a multitude of people. They are gathered together, and he is standing on a hillside. He is literally elevated uh, and points us to 
uh, an elevated life. He is up teaching and the people are hearing what he is doing. And I think through the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing to us through Matthew, right, he is going to show us something deeper about living as kingdom people. If we were going to start with the end in mind, which I think is helpful for us, I think here is what we will see today. Kingdom people or Christ followers are so committed to honesty and integrity that it permeates not only our word, but into our action. Christ followers are so committed to honesty and to integrity that it permeates through our words and into our actions. Remember that in this sermon, Jesus is teaching us a better way to be people, a better way than what they've been taught. Now, the people who have been teaching them are these two different groups primarily that we, would, uh, that we understand are the Pharisees and the scribes. They are kind of the, the religious elites of their day, the ones who copy out and write scripture and therefore can tell you what it is, and then the Pharisees who uh, interpret that and then teach that. Now, if you spend any time in uh, the New Testament at all or any time in the Gospels, you're going to come to understand that just because they are the religious elite does not mean that they are right or good. And they have twisted the scriptures, specifically the Old Testament law, in favor of a life that they feel like they could live as people seeking out what we would call a works-based righteousness. They would take the Old Testament law and they would twist the meaning of it to, to move away from the grace and mercy of God that he was calling them to and into a, if I just do X, Y, and Z, then I'll be okay. For example, they would twist scriptures. There's a couple that we could look at today that are important. You could look at Leviticus 19 verse 12 that says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord your God I am the Lord, or they would read Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And then they would take those and they would teach a very specific and twisted application of those scriptures. This is why Jesus starts and he says, you have heard it said to our ancestors. You have heard it said to those of old. And then he makes this quote that would sum up the teaching of the Pharisees, right? And the, the summation of that is you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. Here's what the Pharisees were teaching. They were teaching that a vow made to the Lord was of utmost importance. That if you make a vow to God, you, you may do nothing at all to break that vow. If you promise something to the Lord, then you should hold up to that promise. It sounds good. The, promise is, the, the problem is it stops there. You see, the Pharisees would also go on to teach that only vows made to the Lord were important. Only promises made to God or in the name of God were important. Promises I make to you or promises that other people make to each other, those don't matter. You can break those. You can walk away from those. There, there are no real consequences to the promises that we make to each other. See, the, the Pharisees had a very one-way view of what it meant to follow God, and that was if I point my heart to the letter of the law as I interpret it towards God, then nothing else matters. 
They worried about the vertical relationship with God, and they said that the horizontal relationship with other people is not important. Mistreating people is fine, and the Pharisees did this often. There are no consequences to that. All that matters in life is my vertical relationship with God. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has stepped in and he said, that is not okay. Because a a vertical relationship with God that is real and true, the heart of the issue will not only change how we point ourselves towards God, but also horizontally towards other people. In essence, a vertical relationship changes all of our horizontal relationships as well. The Sermon on the Mount in its totality is about showing us how it changes and how the heart is what is important. And the heart then pours itself out in action. We are kingdom people, and so the heart is in the kingdom of God. And then we learn how to live today as we look at, we learn to live in honesty and of highest integrity. Jesus is rejecting the teaching of the Pharisees. He's rejecting the popular idea of what it means to be honest that is self-serving and making self-importance a thing. And he's saying, no, what is important is following God and loving other people. So Jesus rejects it. Again, you have heard that it was said to the ancestors, you must not break your oath, but keep your oath to the Lord's. But here's what I tell you, Jesus says, don't take oaths at all. Do not swear an oath at all. Now, I think it's helpful to kind of pause for just a second and think about what Jesus is not saying, okay? Because if we're not careful, we hear that. Uh, if we fall into kind of a legalistic pattern, we can fall into some places that are dangerous and things that are not helpful. Because the reality is, is just about everybody in this room has taken some type of oath that is good. There are good oaths. These are those that we see typically accompanied by great ceremony, right? Great practice. Maybe you've taken an oath as you stood on a stage in front of other people and said the words, I do. You are taking an oath. You are making a promise. Maybe you've taken an oath by signing a piece of paper as you start a new job and you promise to be a certain type of employee and do certain things. Maybe you've taken an oath as you take the stand in a trial or sit in a jury in a trial. Maybe you've taken an oath as you buy a house and promise to pay back all of the crazy amounts of money that you borrowed from the bank. We take oaths and there are oaths that are good. These are right and these are okay. Jesus is not talking about oaths as contracts between two people or two groups. What Jesus is talking about are the way that you and I interact with everyday people in every single moment of our lives. Jesus is saying the way that we interact, the way that we communicate each and every day ought to be different. It ought to look different than the way that the world is communicating. So he's saying there is a difference often in the world around us between what people say and what people do. Uh, People have called this, uh, in lots of different worlds, they have called this idea the credibility gap right? Uh, The credibility gap is the difference between what you'll say and what you'll do. Now, our hope as we talk about the credibility gap, as we think about that in our own lives, is that we would do everything in our power to make that gap very, very small. We probably all know people who have a very small credibility gap, meaning what they say is what they do. 
We also probably all know people who have a very large credibility gap. They say things often and very rarely do them. We like to make sure that people believe, even if it's not true, that the credibility gap that exists in our heart is very small. Now, as we're kids, we do this in some fun ways, right? You may have heard a kid or maybe you said as a kid, right? Somebody, you say something, you want somebody to believe something. You, you, know, I, you know, I saw my next door neighbor, you know, doing seven backflips in the air, whatever a kid might make up, right? And they're like, oh, no way that happened. And the kid goes, what? Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Well, that's the, that's the kid making a promise. I promise you by the crossing of my heart and the needle in my eye that this is true. Or Maybe you've grown up and been one of those people that make all kinds of pinky promises, right? A pinky promise. Well, if you pinky promise, you can't break a pinky promise. We grow up and the cross my hearts and the pinky promises turn into statements like, I promise I'll never do that again. I swear, I swear this time's going to be different. I swear it. I, I swear to God that I'm going to do it this time. And we make these promises and we make these oaths and we make these appeals to something outside of ourselves, Because we know in our heart that the gap between what we say and what we do is often a lot further than we want it to be. And so Jesus is saying, stop it. Don't do that. Don't, don't swear. Why would he include these things? Why would he say, well, don't swear by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem? Oh, we swear by heaven because we're appealing to something greater as if that's going to make our words more true. We appeal to the things of earth as if we have some control over the circumstances around us and can manipulate those things. Or we swear by Jerusalem as if the people around us will help us make these things more believable. We are appealing to things outside of ourselves because we know that our own character can't hold those things up themselves. And Jesus says, you can't even depend on you. And don't even, don't even swear by your own head. You can't even make one hair black or white. Oh, that we could. I am starting to see it. <laughs> I would love that ability. Certainly we can go diet now, but we don't have the ability to change who we are at our core. That's the point. That's what Jesus is saying. Old Testament and New Testament writers confirm this. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, there's no one righteous, not even one. We're not even just like a little bit off. He says that there is poison in our mouth and we speak venom. That doesn't sound like somebody that can be trusted. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, says in chapter 17, verse 9, that the heart is wicked above all things. It is incurable. Who can even understand it? Jesus is making a very important point here. That if we're going to be kingdom people, we can't do it on our own. We can't live up to it. We can't make that credibility gap zero on our own. And all that we're trying to do with all of these words and all of these oaths is trying to manipulate a situation to make ourselves into something we're really just not. And so if we are going to be a kingdom people who live in honesty and integrity, 
We have to understand none of these things, appealing to heaven, appealing to earth, appealing to Jerusalem, even trusting in our own actions as if we can control anything but our own sin. If we're going to be a people who understand that, then we are going to have to be a people who lean deeper and deeper into trust and dependence on Christ. That is what Jesus is saying. We have to turn towards him. We have to look to him for daily mercy for our forgiveness. Say, Christ, I fail and I have failed. Forgive me. We have to lean daily into his grace for daily living. We have to say, God, I need you today to help me not be the person I was yesterday who failed to do what I said I was going to do. If we're going to be a kingdom people, we need a kingdom heart. And that is Christ's. We need a kingdom righteousness, and that is that which he gives to us through the cross. This is why Jesus says anything more than your yes being yes and your no meaning no, this is from the evil one. Why? Because it points to a life where we are depending on ourselves, where we are living up to our own standard and putting that out there as okay. But when we say my yes is yes and my no is no, and I'm not going to make any of these promises by anything else, I'm just going to live in Christ, we are trusting in his righteousness and his righteousness alone. Kingdom people look towards Christ and say, what can I do to lean more into him? Not what can I do to make other people believe me more? We're not going to lean into our own selves. But if we're going to do that, when we start to do that, when we start to trust in Christ, we align our vertical relationship with him well, and then the horizontal begins to change. We start to interact with people in a different way. We start to influence people in a different way. People start to see us, and they say, something's different about that person. We care more about others. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to be kingdom people who put these things into practice, if we're going to live in honesty and integrity... While admitting that I fail, I am a sinner, how can we do that? What are some things that we can do in order to be people who live in honesty and integrity? We can do things like Christ did them. We can make ourselves point towards Christ and say, this is what he did, and so I'm going to do the same thing. So what are some things that we can learn from Christ about how we can live good, honest lives full of integrity. Well, I want to give us just three quick points of application, three quick things that we can think, what can I do to start living a life of more integrity and honesty? Number one, and this is going to sound very obvious, good. Always speak honestly. Always speak honestly. I know, I know, we're, we're talking about honesty and integrity. This one is, is right out there in front of us. It's the, the low fruit. It's the easy one to get to. Speak with honesty. But if we're being honest, we live in a culture that celebrates half-truths. We celebrate sharing just enough to make your point, just enough to win the argument, or just enough to convince other people that you're right and doesn't celebrate the whole truth. We want to be a people who win. We want to be a people who make things known. 
We want to be a people. We live in a culture that loves to be the first to share. Look at me. I knew that before everybody else. And so we share something that is partially true or we don't know all the facts and we just run off and tell it. We need to speak honestly. We need to always speak truth. Now, I know people, and you probably know some of them. Uh, I don't want to be mean, but if you don't know any of them, it might be you. And you might need to ask yourself this. When we speak truth, it doesn't have to be mean. I know people that just say, well, I'm just, a, I'm just an honest person. I said, no, you're just rude. You're just not nice. Speaking honestly and speaking with integrity doesn't mean speaking rudely or harshly. We speak truth, but we speak truth with grace. I had a wonderful conversation with a friend just the other night, and uh, uh, my family, we do a little bit. I know this is weird, and we're in a different culture, but this is becoming normal, and if you don't know somebody now, now you do. You know me. Uh, online gaming is a thing, right? And, and people get on, and they, they do some games, and I have a, a good friend that we don't live anywhere near each other, but we play some together, and, and we ended up the other night just having a long conversation. Now, this friend of mine, he is not a believer. Uh, by his own admission, you'd say he's not following Christ as, as we would say is important. But we had this big, long conversation about all things in the world. Like, like when you start playing a game and then suddenly you find yourself in a place, we got done, we were like, well, that wasn't expected. And it was what happened. And, and we got to a point and he said, man, here's what I respect. But no matter what I say, I believe you spoke what you believe to be true, but you didn't tear me down. You didn't hurt me with your words. You didn't try to win an argument. You just spoke truth. And you spoke it with grace. He didn't come to know Christ at the end of the conversation. My prayer is that that would happen another day. But, but we speak truth and we speak it with grace. Number two, do the best you can to not speak rashly or quickly. Don't speak rashly or quickly. Quickly. A lot of times we get ourselves in trouble because we want to respond in haste. Whether we're having a discussion with somebody and we see that we're, they're wrong or we think that they're wrong or whether we, we want to make sure that they understand a certain point or an idea or we feel like they're just mistaken about something, we want to speak very quickly into a situation. We hurry to make a point to convince somebody or to win an argument and then we say things that we maybe don't mean because we said them too quickly or we say things maybe that we can't confirm or we say things that just didn't come out right. Don't speak rashly. Don't speak quickly. There's all sorts of passages in Proverbs that speak to the wisdom of being slow to speak. In Proverbs chapter 12, and verse 18, it says that, that the, the rash word or the quick word is like a piercing sword, but the words of the wise bring healing. I think it's important for us to ask in our daily conversation, are our words of truth hurting people? They're, they're rash, they're being quick, they're like a piercing sword, or are our words bringing healing to the lives of the people around us? Don't speak rashly. Don't speak quickly. Take Time And that's where our third one comes in. Number one, we said, right, speak honestly. Always speak the truth and speak it with grace. Number two, don't speak rashly or quickly. Number three, take time to weigh every single word that you say. 
take the time to think about what you're about to say or what kind of point you're trying to make. Take time to take an account of every word and then think about what it could mean and how it could be taken. Wisdom often gives us reason to refrain from using hard words like always and never. I think probably if we're honest, all of us in here could say at some point in our lives, we have used the words always in the context of I'll always fill in the blank or used hard words like never. I'll never do that again. Often followed up by us doing that a lot sooner than we thought we would. The reality is, is that we are sinners and we might mean it when we say, I'll always be a person that does this, or I'll never do that again. We might mean it, but we are fallen, broken people in need of a Savior. So my always will fail. But as we say today, Christ's always never will. You see, when we think about being kingdom people, we don't think about living in our own power. We think about living in the power of Christ. We don't think about living in our own promises. We look to the promises of God and we live in the promises of God. My always, my never, they're not there. But Christ promises to always be there for us, to never fail us or to forsake us. And those are words that we can live in. Listen, we are all fallen and broken people, and we all fail. We lack the ability to control the world around us or our circumstances. We lack the ability to determine things as we walk into them. So we need Christ. We need a better dependence. We need a better trustworthy promise, and that is his. Kingdom people, they understand who they are. They understand how they fail, and they understand what they are apart from Christ, and they understand their need for his grace and their need for his forgiveness. Maybe, maybe you walked in this morning, and you knew we were in an elevated life, but you were wondering what we're going to get into, and maybe as we started talking about honesty and integrity, your personal failings jumped to the front of your mind. Maybe as we talked about integrity, you were confronted in your own heart with the places where you have failed to live up to who God has called us to be. You're being confronted with your failures and the people you've hurt. Can I tell you today is the day of forgiveness. Today is the day to turn that over to Christ, trust in his mercy and trust in his grace. Maybe Maybe we've talked about the dependence that we need in Christ, the dependence that a kingdom people have in who he is and who he has called us to be. And you would say, I don't know if I've ever trusted in Christ in that way before. I don't know if I've ever really turned my heart in the direction of Christ and trust in what he has done through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. Today is the day to trust Christ for a new heart. Today is the day to lean into him. My prayer is that here in a moment, we're gonna, we're gonna sing and we're gonna take a time to reflect on what God has done in our heart and to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. My prayer is that you would take this time to wherever you're at, 
If it's a need for a first-time commitment to Christ, to trust in Him, if it's a need for forgiveness for places where you fail to live up to the person that God has called us to be in honesty and integrity, that you would get right with Him and you would say, God, I failed. Please help me. And we would prepare our hearts for what God does in us through the Lord's Supper. As we enter that time, as we begin to sing and reflect, you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. How it teaches us that when we fail, that when we don't live up to our promises, you do. Now, we thank you that we don't have to depend on our own heart, but that we can depend on yours through your son, Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have to depend on our own righteousness, but we can depend on the righteousness of Christ through the cross. God, I pray that as we prepare our hearts this morning, God, that you would call us, give us passion for your honesty, for your integrity, that we would live that out as kingdom people, pointing people to the good king. And we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.